0: Hello, this is Paul Bainsfair and welcome to the second part of our discussion on ad blocking. This part is all about um, really how mobile operators are starting to block advertising and we'll go on to talk about new and different ways of marketing to younger audiences who are for the most part the main blockers of ads um, and how different brands are beginning to engage differently with these younger audiences. So, so
1: moving on to the, the EE uh, announcement through all press reporting at the weekend. So um, obviously, very kind of uh, sensitive issue to them. In that it, it affects the data plans of their users. So you can understand their kind of skin in the game, if you like. But c- could you expand on your thoughts on that? Because a couple of things that interested me from reading the article. The first was that it referenced there was the possibility of blocking in app mm. apps, which I had not heard. Of before, other than very intrusive VPN deep packet inspection via Russia type services, which yes. I don't think are going to be very popular. Just and explain explain that a little bit, Nigel,
0: because that was a lot of jargon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so that you there are kind of rather grey slash black hat solutions that you can currently opt into to have ads stripped out of your in-app experience in mobile, which currently the the standard ad blockers don't do. But the quid pro quo is to technically be able to do that, they have to take your content and internet usage on your smartphone and channel it through uh, their own private network. Um, And to strip the ads out, they do a very intrusive kind of technology called deep packet inspection um, which in the past has been completely unacceptable to the public so in other words it's a huge uh, mallet to crack a nut and mm. you would be more threatened by the idea of deep packet inspection than the benefit which is ad blocking so that isn't that's, I would see as a dead end in terms of mass take up um, it's also a good way to chuck in some jargon uh, <laughs> but um, but there was an illusion in the Olaf Swanti uh, interview that in app could be blocked. The second thing I'm curious about is obviously we're, we're all got our mobile phones in our pocket here, but we're on the IPA's Wi Fi, so I'm, I'm guessing EE, if I was on the EE network, would have no
2: ability to interdict my activity here, so to speak. So you're right, so I'll ask the second point first. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. So when you, if you're tied to a wireless network, then the mobile operator isn't delivering that. Um, isn't delivering you that uh, the internet connection, and therefore, can't screen that ad. So it's for those that are tied to their their internet, their their mobile internet provider. Um, specifically on mobile, you're absolutely right that the method called deep packet inspection essentially is is giving somebody, else say, third party company, the ability to see all your traffic, under the the promise essentially that they won't look at your all of your traffic. They will just strip out the ads and not look at the rest of it. Um, now Apple as being a privacy advocate, and ironically has actually flown the flag of privacy, and said the reason we introduced ad blocking in the latest release of their software in September uh, was to allow developers to block ads because of privacy concerns. Um, however, about a month later, an app appeared in the App Store that actually used that method of deep packing inspection, and then Apple suspended it after a week. Did they? Know? Because they said actually that wasn't acceptable. Even though the company actually, within their policy, said we will not look specifically at somebody's internet usage and their history. We'll just look at the ads. Apple felt that wasn't that wasn't enough. It's essentially putting a trust in the third party who wasn't really known. Um, the other key player that we're seeing on the market, and, and whether or not EE are going to work with them or not, is, is unclear, is a company called Shine Technologies, which is an Israeli startup, and they just make the black box, so they don't have a consumer relationship like our block class. They work with mobile operators on the basis that they will block ads um, in web and in app, and they... If you look at their website, it says Shine Technologies, they have very strong rhetoric. Shine? Shine, yes. Right. And they have very strong rhetoric where they describe advertising as pollution. Right. And they, they talk about consumer abuse and advertising as being consumer abuse. So they have a very militant view, a very an ideology that says all advertising essentially is, is bad. Um, they work with mobile operators and the fact they've just publicly acknowledged the first one, a company called Digicel, which is a Caribbean network, phone network. And Sean, I say it's a consumer issue, and actually, they've taken out, ironically, two full-page press ads in the FT, <laughs> actually calling on the GSMA and others to block ads, um, which is an irony in itself. Um, as soon as it gets past the operator, the mobile operators they, in this case, Digicel, they decide why they're implementing this blocking technology. And for them, they've clearly said in a statement, unless they specifically named Facebook, Yahoo, and Google, pay them money they will block their ads, specifically on those sites, and they will pick and choose which ads on which publishers they choose to allow. Now, the reason they've said this is because they believe that media companies are not investing in the mobile infrastructure to deliver a better broadband experience. Now, from our point of view, the IB and I'm sure that most, most people from a rational point of view, will say, well, that's what data plans are for. Data plans and they have a, the direct, you know, the mobile operators have a direct relationship with their consumers and they charge them for consuming that data. And Google, Facebook, and others, and many other publishers, deliver the kind of content which encourages people to spend more time to download even more. And consequently, the mobile operators benefit from that. And yet, they're trying to also, what we think is, is almost tantamount to extortion, and try to extort money from, from these companies by saying, We don't think essentially we're getting enough money. From our consumers, so we want to try and charge media companies for the privilege of yeah. then allowing consumers access to their services, which we think we, we fundamentally disagree with. So, really, although Shine have an ideology, as soon as they give us the mobile operator, the mobile operator decides how they're going to make money, money out of it. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so, consequently, it becomes another money making scheme open to abuse. It's just going back to something you said a little bit earlier,
0: it hadn't occurred to me before, but thinking about my own family, all my my children have grown up now. They're all, they're all just about in their 20s and they all have ad blockers on their uh, They're using them. And my wife, when I mentioned ad blockers, she looked to me as if, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. So it's a, clearly a generational thing. And I wonder if it's to do with the, this mobile issue because younger people do tend to spend more time on their mobile and they will be more cash-constrained usually. They will be concerned about using up data and therefore I'm just... I'm just musing on the fact that it might be uh, for them too a money issue rather than I don't like ads. It's just a way of saving saving cost. Is, do you think that that might be a possibility?
2: Definitely factor, and, and also the two, two other key things which are fundamentals for mobile experience is your your battery, and essentially the more data you process, the the more we're draining your battery, um, and speed. So it's cost, speed, and battery. Like key theme. So it's very compelling. The the yeah, the. The, the argument of saying actually blocking ads is quite compelling from a, from a consumer point of view in some ways, without unless they realise what the impact, and what the resulting impact will be, which could be you'd have to then pay for access in the future, which the majority of said three-fifths, 60% of people said, well, actually, knowing that, I would rather keep things as they are. So because, I think partly because it's a natural human instinct, because people can do something and it's not illegal, certainly the court case in Germany, which publishers have brought specifically against Adblock Plus, around the ability to block ads and then their acceptable ads policy. There have been three cases, and all three successfully failed, um, and found in favour of Adblock Plus. So that doesn't mean that there's there's a a precedence for all European countries, but already it's seen as being, not really perceived to be an illegal issue. Um, Actually accessing and using Adblock isn't illegal. So because people can do it, it's not like music music and film downloads where people knew inherently they shouldn't be downloading this when they were breaking the law. Essentially, is is, is is different again, and people will do it while they can. So, it's about giving them education and choice, and giving that fundamental choice, which is really key because you're right, it is potentially they're looking at it from a one sided, one dimensional point of view, which is, is this hitting my back pocket? Not realizing it, it could be fundamentally they could be paying a lot more mm. if they and their peers continue to then block out as they can Yeah, be. although you know,
0: young people are notoriously. Um unable to see into the future so they'll be <laughs> concerned about today rather than exactly costing more tomorrow But look we've been we've been talking for um, a good 20 25 minutes now uh, in an attempt to sort of sum up I thought we might ask you or both of you actually these ad blockers are here they're here here to stay what 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 do we think it's going to do to online advertising Going forward, what what changes do you think will be brought about as a result of their presence? Um, how do you see changes happening in agencies uh, that might allow for the effect these ad blockers can have? I mean, could you do a little bit of um, future
1: gazing for us? I mean, I think the first thing in terms of if we start from our kind of part of the woods and think about agencies um, currently. Media agencies are watching this with interest, but are, are not hugely threatened by it. In terms of the creative format, um, I think, ironically, that actually rests in terms of addressing this with the publishers, because the the uh, the agencies will produce content that they're allowed to that fit into the frameworks created by the publishers, and also the publishers are the ones who are most obviously losing money from ad blocking. So without wanting to hospital pass it too much I'm going to hospital pass it and say <laughs> it's it's it, it's a clear and present danger with a more obvious point of solution on the publisher side and to me the most interesting thing that I've learned from today is um, relates to the encryption aspects of the lean standards because that's providing the stick as well as the carrot um, into this into this arena. Um, I also think, something will be very interesting how truly things play out in mobile um, with in-app uh, ad blocking whether that takes place in a non-intrusive manner to the consumer if it doesn't I think we're witnessing a, a pivot in digital ad spend to you know mobile first uh, you know the dominance of, of mobile audiences so if only the 10 to 15 percent of your browsing experience is blocked I think that this is a very containable problem. If it does spread into the in-app experience, then I think we really need to look for solutions that transcend
2: mobile around encryption and stuff as well. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, I mean the key thing here is publishers are losing money, and agencies and, and brands are losing audience. So it's a key concern wherever you sit. Is. I think from our from having worked when I worked agency side 10 years ago and look then, then then innovation and you had pop-ups, you had overlays and all these very intrusive formats that appeared to be very good at the time but since then when you look back in hindsight it's very easy to think well actually of course they're too intrusive and they've gone potentially a little bit too far. Um, I think consequently therefore uh, there's a rebalancing going on whereby we need to have a very clear view and we are getting that about what consumers are willing to accept and that will vary by, by person it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Giving them a choice and saying what are you willing to accept and on the basis of that saying well okay this is what we can deliver to you these are the services we can deliver to you either at little or no cost or perhaps subsidized costs on this basis. So what I think that would mean in practical terms is that we'll see less innovation in the sense of just not quite anything goes because obviously we've been Purveying ad standards for the last 15 years at the IAB. Um, but being very, very clear amongst the industry, and I think certainly for publishers, creative agencies, media agencies, it needs to be explicitly clear in terms of what is and isn't acceptable. It will need to be reviewed from time to time because we don't want to start from innovation, there'll be new ideas. But more of a dialogue across the industry rather than just saying, let's create a new ad format that's interrupted it, because it that's deemed as being good, because advertising by its very nature is, is disruptive but let's not go too far and just create something allow something just to be created organically. Let's review it properly and just second guessing and saying, is that right? Is it appropriate? And having a permanent review of those standards. So I think the lean standards will be under permanent review and wanting to work across the industry and saying, let's keep reviewing and tweaking. I think I'll send on a mobile experience. Now, moving forward, we'll see a fundamental change and less disruptive formats and, you know, and actually asking permission to be, almost to be interrupted rather than just assuming that that's fine. So, I think finally we'll see a lot more clarity between creative agencies, media agencies, and publishers about what is, what is and isn't acceptable because currently at the moment I think it's a little bit opaque and I think we'll see much more clarity amongst those parties.
0: Well, there's a huge, um, there's huge irony in this, of course, which uh, for those of, uh, those of us that were around you know, 15 years ago when, when the sort of digital revolution happened, uh, all of the, the, the new priesthood, the, the guys that got it, we're walking around advertising agencies saying, the old interruptive model's dead. You know, you won't be able to do that in the future. You won't be able to just interrupt people with ads. We're gonna to have to work in a completely different way. Uh, and now we have probably the most interruptive medium is, is the internet. Uh, so clearly, as you've said, Steve, very, very eloquently, um, we're gonna to have to move on from that and, and figure out what advertising models look like in this, in this new medium. Well, it's not new anymore but you know what I mean um, so I think
1: unless and you want Nigel I sense you about to jump in Look, there I'll, I'll you sense correctly um, but the only thing I was going to say in, in light of that is that one man's challenge is another man's opportunity and just building on the the, the idea about the old interruptive model being dead you know as was described many years back there, there is always that challenge but where certain parties audiences are disproportionately ad blocking one of the most obvious being young men, that's more a key problem for those particular advertisers mm. and the agencies that work with them. And what we're seeing is they're some of the earliest adopters of branded content and product placement strategy amongst the new third wave of, um, of media um, kind of providers that, that exist. So, for example, there's Car Throttle, which is a, um, an online-based community for car enthusiasts globally. Uh, and they're doing deals with Xbox uh, to incorporate the commercial message into branded content. So there is a greater emphasis to come up yeah, with um, solution like that. And
0: this, this, we were talking before we we started recording. We we're talking about this growing, huge influencer group. Um, the vloggers call them what you will. You know, and we, you and I, Nigel, saw when we were in LA the the slow mo guys who have twenty eight million people watching their videos. Already doing um, pieces with Tide, the soap powder people. Um, so you you wouldn't be able to block that, for example, because yeah. it's a wholly integrated content piece. Absolutely.
2: So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I heard one example recently, which is vans, which is skating mm-hmm. wear for skateboarders. I and, know about vans. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and skateboarders are apparently notoriously difficult to reach via advertising. They're very they have a very predefined, quite bad perception about advertising. So what Vans tries to do is they commission their agency to say, actually, how can we reach these people? And they came up with the idea of actually then uh, commissioning um, a production companies to film some of the leading skaters in the world, um, Tony Hawks and others, and amazing skaters. And they film them performing tricks. And they use several cameras. so you could provide a three-dimensional view of, the, of all the tricks, in slow motion. You could pause it, you could fast forward it, so you could pour over the detail of it and actually show people how to do some of these amazing tricks. Create an app and create a way to actually show people how they could improve their skating, but it was branded with Vans. And it was immensely successful. So it went from being uh, an interactive messaging saying, how about buying some Vans skate if you're a skater to saying, I'm gonna provide you with a service and some really cool things to actually improve your life. Um, Brought to you by Vans and people having a very Positive perception, thinking that's great. I have a very positive perception of the brand. I want to buy that brand. That brand understands me, and therefore I'm willing to go and buy that brand. Yeah, and
0: I, and I suppose, I mean, the history of advertising is littered with creative um, ideas that get around issues and problems. I mean, even going back to tobacco, when tobacco was allowed to be advertised more or less every few years, there were more restrictions placed on what you could say. In the end, you could only share the pack. And that heralded an era of the most creative advertising of all time. You know, the gold, the gold uh, box for Benson Hedges, the, the cut silk, the silk card. So agencies are good at this kind of thing. So let's, uh, let's assume that that's the way this will be solved, or at least one of them. So anyway, Steve, thank you very much. Nigel, it's been great talking to you about this. I hope we've shed a bit of light on the subject. Um, well, I'm sure we have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed our podcast on ad blocking. Um, do stay tuned for, for future editions. This has been Paul Baines the Director General of the IPA, and this has been the IPA podcast.